Hello everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast, coming to you on Christmas night. Um, it's been a good Christmas. Just going to talk a little bit tonight. Uh, got a few thoughts rattling around my head. I have a couple other things uh, I might get to. It's been a rough time to stay sober. It's been a rough time to uh, to be a kid. It's been a rough time to be an adult. I had a podcast guest lined up for this past Wednesday night, which would be in place of the podcast you're listening to. And uh, I was pretty excited about having him, although it wasn't my idea. Somebody else sent him to me, which is always cool, too. And... Um, he was kind of slow on the replies and that uh little sixth sense thing was uh pinging me a little bit and uh what i do is i tell people that they don't you know i, I want a willing participant the uh the invitation is an open invitation but i don't want to chase you and i don't want to be a bug so uh let me know if you're interested in doing this thing and uh, i got a text back said that the uh individual had relapsed the day before and I saw him post a Facebook post about going into detox so I don't push this thing real hard and uh, I try not to have a whole bunch of them just being me talking but sometimes uh, I'm led to sometimes I'm not I had a little thought the other night uh, TSSR meeting on Thursday night I was going to do the ninth step lead and it was Christmas Eve uh, Thursday nights are landing on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve this year, and we had to have a little. We had a little vote to the group conscience to see if we wanted to continue, if we wanted to hold the meetings or not, and we voted to do that. And uh, I had uh, spent a bit of time uh, preparing for a ninth step lead. When I was early in recovery, I used to spend a lot of time uh, preparing for leads, and and that's not true. A lot of time, I would I would spend some time, some adequate time, preparing for a lead, and usually type it up and and kind of practice it and uh, have some idea about what I was doing. I think it presented a well formed lead rather than just winging it. Today I can wing it too, uh, and I kind of started falling back on my uh, perceived abilities to wing a lead, and not really have to prepare for it. But for whatever reason, this night step lead. Uh, People have been doing such a good job on their step leads that I thought, well, I will prepare for this. And then as luck would have it, uh, it was brought up that maybe we didn't have a, that we just had an open meeting since it was Christmas Eve and let it play out however, and that's what was voted to. So that's what we did. And I didn't get to do my lead. Uh, I suppose it may come down to Pike again, but uh, Sometimes I wonder too, you know, maybe maybe I wasn't supposed to do that lead that night. Maybe I'm not supposed to do this lead. If I was supposed to, it would have happened. I teased around that I was going to do it on the podcast instead. If y'all wanted to hear my lead, you could come uh, come tune into the podcast. There's another little thing I'm doing tonight is uh, for Christmas. Uh, Holly got me a lav mic, a set of. Uh, lavalier mics they're the ones you clip on your uh on your lapel and it, th these specifically are are uh, built to to record off of your phone so that i could do a little interview something without having to pack up my whole computer and microphones and all that jazz to go do a 
a podcast, uh, I could just take my phone and sit down and, and interview somebody. So I'll be listening to this to see how at least one half of it goes. Obviously, I don't have a guest with me today, tonight. So uh, I'm testing out some new equipment here. Made, uh, made my Christmas gifts this year. I've been doing that the last few years. Um, I just can't get, I just can't get an idea in my head about what kind of things to buy somebody. You know, if somebody says I need this, you know, I can get, I can, I can, I can dive right on that. But just to be creative and go out and buy somebody something, uh, so and so would like this specifically, like my dad and my kids. Um, so I've taken to making things and I spent spent some time in the shop during December. Uh, making some wooden like treasure boxes, trinket boxes, and uh, made those and gave them away for Christmas. And lo and behold, uh, some of the things I got were uh, handmade too. My my daughter is a very good artist, painting, drawing, sketching, that kind of thing, and um, usually makes me Christmas cards and um, writes a little something in them, which really touched me particularly this year Holly painted me some painted me uh, made a really um, really beautiful creative painting uh, that centerpiece of it is a deer and uh, that touches me in more than one way uh, so it's just been gifts I receive them better than ever um, and I guess I give them as good as I can and we know that's not really what this is all about anyway. I hope that some, uh, I think those boxes that I make land well. Um, probably in the truth of the matter, if I took the time I, I spent to make them, might, uh, might be more value than uh, what I would have spent had I gone to the store and tried to buy something. Can't get it off my heart this year that uh, Jesse passed. You know this guy relapsed, and you wonder about what's you know we don't we don't survive this shit. I've had a few people uh, walk away from their recovery lately for whatever reason. Try something else. One guy uh, is going to go try to get sober in the church. I hope he does. Um, I did once for five months, but it didn't keep me sober. You know, fact of the matter is, if your faith in uh, the church was going to help you, I think it would have already. But more power to that individual, and hope uh, hope they hope they find their way there. And I, if not, I hope they find their way back. I'm thinking about doing a memorial podcast for Jesse. I think that would be a good idea and uh, interview a number of people and have them uh, chime in on on their thoughts and feelings about Jesse. Some kind of closing. I have a number of things around my house that remind me of Jesse, whether if they were gifts from him or uh, places we happen to be together. I don't think I really need to do something to uh, create some kind of closing 
around uh, Jesse's departure. I'll probably be doing that. I think a memorial podcast would be cool. I probably even got some of his music around that we could use uh, for background music of that. Another uh, thing I did today was I spent the entire day watching The Last Dance, the the, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary that's on Netflix. And uh, there's a concept in there that kept on... Uh, has been reoccurring for me or, you know, coming inside my uh, thoughts of the past week. Uh, everything I've been, went into a little Navy SEAL rabbit hole on some uh, stuff like that. Marcus Luttrell and some of these guys who uh, just really do heroic things uh, from, a, from a military hero side of things. And uh, the word that keeps popping up is team. The, the the Navy SEALs they call them that you know when, that they're in the teams and they operate as a team and I listen to guys talking about going to the training and uh, the most successful individuals and the most qualified and uh, um, most experienced individuals are, are not who does well in the Navy SEAL buds training and uh, the different things they're doing. It's the people who work together well with others who are able to act as a team. Those are the people who, uh, that's the cream of the crop. That who's, that's who floats up in, uh, in the SEAL teams. And, of course, in this documentary with uh, Michael Jordan, that same thing uh, was evident here, too. There's a big turning point in uh, Michael Jordan's career where he has the ability to uh, take over a ball game all by himself. But when Phil Jackson began coaching him, he started uh, implementing more of a team spirit amongst, uh, with particularly with Jordan, and then amongst the other players. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that team element just uh, made him more powerful than any one man alone. Yeah, I think about that in our recovery too. I've got a computer in front of me. It says a team is a group of individuals, human or non-human, working together to achieve their goal. Teams normally have members with complementary skills and generate synergy through a coordinated effort, which allows each member to maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. That is what I feel like uh, we have going on in recovery circles you know a few years ago we really had something going on at spiritual underground it's still it's still something special uh but we were we were synergizing a few years ago at some unreal level and because of the differences of personalities and um i guess some differences in perceived perception or principles and some uh principles that that different people had uh it kind of broke up and and you know, what kind of the Bulls were talking about this is that when they acquired Michael Jordan, they were in a rebuilding phase. And then after six championships, and those guys that they let them all go, and they were in another rebuilding phase. So, the spiritual underground seems to be in a rebuilding phase. 
and the TSSR groups are uh, I really feel that same synergy uh, happening and specifically among the women of the group they uh, are really coming together good and having quite a bit of things going on that is uh, causing each of them to uh, maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. Dad just walked by and I wasn't expecting to see him this late in the evening. And he wanted to give me something and I'm a little slowed down when he uh, throws things at me when I'm not prepared for it. Big pause there. You probably wondered if your computer was or your phone was still working or if your computer was still working. I may not have as much to talk about as what I initially thought. Uh, we're getting company walk by kind of sidetracks me a little bit. And uh, I was doing some thinking about a uh, trip I took back in 2017 I ran around and I might have I think I've talked a little bit about that trip to Japan and I had ran across the uh, I'd saved a, a narrative in my journal that I wrote and I'd saved it out on the internet and along with pictures and had shared that with some folks and uh, the links went dead matter of fact by the time this one comes out she will be the last uh, episode of season two so that means uh, two years of these podcasts going on with a few holes here and there, but for the most part, weekly content coming out. And uh, that two years, we're approaching that 30,000 listens. Uh, I think it's at 28 or something like that right now, 26, 28. I, I've been I haven't been looking at it that often once it's getting up into there. Uh, I try not to check it. I remember when we were in the hundreds, I was checking it daily. Two years of the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Pretty cool. So I was thinking about miracles. And uh, and I thought, you know, one of the things I do is I have this tremendous number of stories. And maybe even if you don't find them as entertaining as I do, uh, there could be a reason for me to preserve these Hell, for my children, potential grandchildren. Uh, I sure would like to have some of this stuff that my, some stories from my grandparents and, and I have recorded some stories from my father. Uh, when he's getting ready to tell a story, I've gotten my phone out and turned on my voice recorder fast enough to get uh, some of his stories recorded. And fact of the matter is I've done some pretty damn cool things over my years both uh, in sobriety and before I've even thought about uh, putting these stories together and writing a book uh, with Christopher watching him write books it gets to be really uh, uh, that level of commitment on the writing is probably beyond me this is probably closer to my my medium 
is uh, in in the spoken word. I've uh, just to lead into this before. I had this. Um, I was on home. I broke in that house. I had about six months between breaking in that house and my current sobriety date. I got sentenced to a year of home incarceration and then a year of uh, probation. And one of the things I was concerned about is I had the opportunity to travel a lot in my work. And um, I really, I was really scared that my employer would ask me to travel and I'd have to tell them why I couldn't do that. And throughout the whole home incarceration time, not one time was I asked to travel. And that's on my miracle list. I don't think I, I worked there for 28 years and I don't think a year ever went by where I wasn't asked to travel. And then when I was on probation, I got selected for this team uh, to develop some new technology, but one of the requirements was going to be that we were going to go spend a couple of weeks in Japan and uh, have the company we were purchasing this technology from, where they, were, they were going to train us. And that was going to happen in September of 2016, which was flat in the middle of the year, or towards the end of the year, uh, let's see, March, uh, September, October, November, December, January, February. So some five months before I was going to get off of home of off of probation. Stumbling around with my words. I like to be able to. I do a lot better if I'm talking to somebody and telling them this story rather than telling this story to myself. So that September trip was looking like it was going to go, and I had talked to my probation officer and. She said we'd have to get an order from the judge in order to be able to allow me to go. But uh, as, as is so often the case in, in life in general, uh, it wasn't a problem for today, so there wasn't any reason to get that uh, permission until it was a reality. So the trip didn't come off. There was a postponement after postponement, and they would bump it out to October, and then bumped it to November, bumped it to December. They didn't want to do it around the holidays. They bumped it to January. And I believe my dates are right. Uh, on March the 18th, I was released from probation, cleared, and off of... Uh, all of my corrections, obligations. And on March the 29th, I was on, I think it's 11 days later, I was on a plane on the way to Nagasaki, Japan. And one of my uh, problems, I got to travel a lot of places throughout my career there. And, and, and one of the things I know, know by you know this whole hindsight thing is that I never really could enjoy many of those trips because either I was, because of my general cloud of fear that I lived under and uh, straight up alcoholism and addiction. You can't, uh, you can't carry on like normal when you're out on business trips. So I'd either be struggling to feel good or struggling to find enough to drink so that I would feel good. Um, dealing with jet lagged hangovers And then there was just that general unable to be the dis-ease 
of being in these faraway lands that uh, that I just wasn't comfortable in. And so this Japan trip uh, was the first time that I ever did anything, you know, that I had an opportunity to go someplace once I had this new level of freedom that 12 Steps gave me. So off we went. Um, I took an ohm symbol with me that I had made because I wanted to take pictures of that uh, in different places. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've, I've kind of cracked the can open on my on a on a Facebook page I had for a little bit, and it's still active called "Release the Teddies," where I had this teddy bear that I took with me most everywhere, and I would take pictures of it in unique places and post the pictures on Facebook. And some other people started playing along, and that was pretty fun. And uh, I just thought I'd take my one of my custom ohm symbols with me and and take some pictures of of it in front of some interesting places in in Nagasaki, Japan. Also, planned to uh, some of my bigger trips. I I did a podcast and I talked about that river trip a little bit, or maybe talked about it a lot. And uh, I journaled some of those trips, and I journaled this trip to Japan too. And one magical day during that, uh, specifically, I am really glad I stopped during the day and took time to document that uh, day because the memories, much like my my miracle list that I have, uh, as memories fade, those things can uh, kind of disappear on you. And yeah, they'll get they'll get shaken into uh, back to the forefront of my memory once in a while by by certain events or conversations. But having these things documented has turned out to be something I'm uh, grateful for. That Ohio River trip, we have a journal, a handwritten journal on it. One of the things in that journal is uh, is the names of every barge tug that we saw and could read the name of. Someone passed us in the night. We couldn't get those, obviously. So the first line in my journal, ice is rare. I like ice water. Uh, really tough to find ice for your drinks in uh, in in Japan. I was uh, I still say this, you know, I, I still I still drink a lot. Uh, I just don't drink alcohol anymore, and I don't have as much anymore. As a, it's not it's not as prevalent as it was. But I loved ice water for the longest time. One of the problems is that my ice maker here at home in the freezer is uh, not working. If it was working, I probably would have more ice in my drinks today than I do. But you couldn't find much ice in Japan. Uh, they have the best toilet. Well, they have two phases of toilets in Japan. Either the best ones you've ever seen with the bidets and the heated seats and, and actually some kind of little noise maker that when you sit on it, it starts making noise like to cover up the noise of you doing your business. And these other squat-style toilets, which are essentially just big oval holes in the floor uh, with a water tank up mounted on the wall beside it, so it flushes. But uh, there is no seat whatsoever. And for a man had to urinate, this, those things are like a urinal on the floor. Uh, if you're having to do a number two, they get very interesting. Hotel room, when I first got there, I realized there was a switch beside the mirror and I thought it was a light and I flipped it on and it didn't do anything and I figured out that it was actually a bathroom mirror heater so that when you took a shower your mirror didn't fog up. It was the first time I saw combination washer dryer units. They had those in the hotel 
where you put your clothes in once and they come out dry. I just said, oh, I wish I, could, I wish they would, I wish it would come out dry and folded. Uh, almost all the sinks over there had motion-operated water, soap, and dryers, all that, all together. Uh, you didn't have to touch things. Uh, vending machines would 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 spit out toys, uh, hot food, drinks, beer, cocktails, uh, just about anything you wanted you could find in a vending machine. One of the other things I really loved about Japan was how hospitable the service folks were. Uh, the people in the hotel, they would completely, in the hotel and just as you're out and about, uh, they would completely stay out of your way in a, like a very subservient way. But once you made it known that you needed help, they were uh, doing everything they could do to, uh, to help you uh, find your way or feed money into one of these crazy automated devices, that these vending machines that I was talking about a minute ago. Uh, they would come over and take your money out of your hand and help you buy what you needed. If I needed some help, all I had to do was stand there and look stupid, which is real easy for me, and somebody would come up and help me. Around town, they were phone charging stations and uh, these little, just it kind of looked like a little bar, a little station. And uh, I noticed that people would leave their bags and purses and their phones unattended at these little spots and go, you know, go off to the bathroom or, or, you know, I don't know what all they were doing, but they would be leaving their, their, uh, items unattended. And, uh, boy, uh, that's something you better not do around here. Cause you, I can promise you, your purse is not going to be sitting there. If you leave it sitting in one of them spots like that here in our community, it was illegal to smoke outside in Japan. If you're inside, you could smoke. But outside, foreboding. Uh, the sidewalks around Nagasaki had um, a pattern in the concrete that was some, like having braille for the for the sight impaired. You could feel with your feet where you when you were coming up to an intersection, the pattern in the concrete would change. And when you got to the intersection, it would change again, so you knew where to stop. And all the uh, walk-don't-walk indicators were audible. Uh, I see that around here a little bit now. Um, see it a bit in Louisville. The uh, audible walk-don't-walk stuff. But that was the first time I'd ever picked that up. And, and it took me a little bit. And I'm actually just... Uh, I'm, I'm supposing that's what the concrete was. I don't know that. Uh, but that was the only thing that made sense to me. Uh, first few days we were there, man, you're sitting there acclimating and, and, and working. So you had to be at work in the first day. And uh, the company we visited hosted a big opening welcome dinner. Uh, that was the first time when somebody asked me, you know, they were breaking out a lot of liquor. Uh, one of the things that I found when I go overseas is people like to get you drunk and feed you stuff that makes you squirm. I'm a pretty big, I'm a pretty uh, open-minded eater, and of course I used to be a pretty open-minded drinker too. But uh, to get these people to, to not serve me alcohol uh, was a little bit of a problem. In Japan it's a customary that you do not let the people sitting next to you, you do not let their glasses uh, get empty. So if you see your neighbor uh, glasses getting empty, you top it off with the multiple bottles that sit around the table.
and the thing to do was turn your glass upside down if you didn't want it and uh, my glass kept on getting turned right side up and, and alcohol put in it uh, at some point they you know asked me what you don't drink I'm like nope I don't and uh, some of my coworkers knew that but uh, obviously none of the my Japanese hosts uh, they didn't understand what I was uh, what was going on and I didn't want to really get into that too deep uh, I had scouted ahead from home and I had some ideas about what I wanted to do while I was there and at first I think we arrived on like a thir Wednesday or Thursday but the first Friday that came around uh, I knew there was this Mount Inasa it's I-N-A-S-A it's the highest point in Nagasaki and it's got a 360 degree lookout that you uh, access with a gondola like a cable car and uh, that is where I was going to go on Friday night it is ranked in the top three best night views in the entire world uh, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken the other two were um, maybe Hong Kong in Darn it, I can't remember what the other one is. Madagascar or something like that. But that doesn't matter. It was, uh, and, I, and I saw that in the writings, but I just really didn't compute how beautiful Nagasaki was going to be uh, prior to getting there. You know, one of the things was is the whole deal with the atomic bombs and, uh, you know, some contempt prior to investigation going on thinking that there would be a... Um, that the place just wouldn't be as nice as what it was. Four of the other six guys that went with us wanted to join me on that trip up to that uh, Mount Anasa. And I thought, well, okay, um, come along. But uh, that's where I'm going, and I'm going quickly because I wanted to get up there before the sunset. And uh, they didn't, you know, I didn't know how to get there. I just took off and figured it out. Uh, you can take uh, Nagasaki has a trolley car that runs like cable cars, not the same kind of gondola things, but like the old time style trolleys on rails with the overhead electric wire and uh, the pulley that's up on top of the on top of the trolley car that feeds electricity into it. So at night, as those things are going down through there, you see the sparks arcing off of this connection between that uh, hook on the top of the trolley and the electric lines running over top of it and this was the first time we were navigating Nagasaki on our own too and we made it just fine and uh and actually those kind of adventures man I, I dig it they're fun to me this spot did not disappoint man we made it to the bottom rode up on top uh, I do have some pictures but the pictures just don't do it justice like like so many others don't and no matter where you're at in Nagasaki, you see this hilltop. It's got some towers on top of it, like cell phone towers. But uh, no matter where you're at, you can see that hillside. And I was up on top of that mountain. We stopped, and there was a restaurant up there. And now uh, we went up to, we, we we went to the top first. And those guys all grabbed something to drink. And uh, I stood on top of that mountaintop with a wave of gratitude in my heart that uh that that i've been able to um access a few times uh it's fairly rare but when you get these like higher power attaboys this knowing like uh, you are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing 
and I stood up on top of that mountain and watched the lights of Nagasaki, the port town of Nagasaki, the lights come on as, uh, as it got dark in the, in the valley. And the uh, sun was setting over the Japanese ocean back over my, uh, behind me. And just, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I couldn't leave the county without asking for permission. And here I am standing on top of a mountain in Japan, uh, free as I have ever been in my life. We stopped up there and got steaks and uh, had something to eat. And uh, the guys that was with me, uh, they were not experiencing what I was experiencing. Uh, that was okay. One of them, in, one, one of them in particular, uh, Chris, he, uh, I had talked to him and we were friends from back. We both started it at that place of my employment back in the early 90s together around the same time and he'd left to go work for some other places and completed his engineering degree and uh, and then came back to work for this company and so we had some a longer history and uh, he had mentioned he saw something change in me but I was a different dude than I was back when he remembers me from before so I come clean with him and told him what that was and uh, so he understood what I was doing and he had a little bit of an idea uh, where most of the rest of them did not. We were uh, coming back down the hill on the gondola and uh, there was a attractive Japanese gal was uh, standing with us and, and my friend who uh, uh, presumed she was indeed Japanese, he pointed back and forth from her jacket to his because they had those puffy jackets on that looked a lot alike. And he was saying, like, same, same, pointing back and forth. And uh, she looked at him, looked up at him, uh, not at all amused. And she said, well, close, but not exactly. And my friend said, wow, your English is very good. And she snappily replied, I, you know, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey which had us all crying uh but what she didn't say is i'm from jersey asshole because that was definitely the way she said it uh we used that uh line the rest of the week or the rest of the time we were there wow your english is very good but the next day was march the fourth um I had those dates wrong in my yeah I was right yeah we we left I was got off of probation on February the 18th on February the 28th or 29th I think it was a leap year uh, we left for Japan so by now it's March the 4th and uh, this is probably one of my top I don't know I'll say top five days in my entire life as far as like the adventure and uh, just the complete freedom um, the whole day is was one giant miracle. It was surreal. It was uh, like one of those sunshine of the spirit kind of days. Uh, it, it'd be impossible for me to fully convey what that is, uh, what, what happened that day. But I'm going to give it a shot. So the first thing I did that morning was I uh, purchased a day pass for the trolley system. You can ride it all day long. Uh, for a certain price. You can just get on it and get off, get on it and get off. Uh, 
and uh, it's really the main way to get around town. And I bought one of those in the hotel lobby and sat down and had breakfast. Uh, one of our one of my coworkers, Peter, um, who has has a PhD in computer science and a master's in mechanical engineering, a real small guy. Uh, he said he came to the uni to the U.S. from China in 1997. Uh, he understands English real good, but uh, he's a little bit hard to communicate with. But he's a super nice guy and super smart. Um, I'd say he's a few years older than me, and he asked me what I was going to do today. And when I told him, he asked me if he could come along. I'd initially kind of wanted to go alone. Uh, I just didn't want to hold anybody up, and I didn't want to be on anybody else's schedule. But I couldn't say that. I couldn't speak my truth. Uh, it turned out to be really good. It didn't. It, it, it mattered not. Uh, I enjoyed spending time with him and getting to know him better. And uh, some of that probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for this trip of getting to know this guy better. I just, uh, I just said screw it, and I spoke freely with him all day. Uh, I tend to guard, or I used to. And I still do. I'll guard my speech around my recovery sometimes. It just matters more if I get the nudge to do that or not. And um, But with him that day, um, he was asking questions, and I told him the answers. I told him what my plans were. And you can follow me or not. Uh, I didn't say that part out loud. But I said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you're welcome to join me. So we got on the trolley car after breakfast and went to the very southernmost station. Um, that was down uh, by the actual entry port of the port into Nagasaki. And I had my eye on this uh, Confucian shrine uh, that I wanted to start my day at. And I was going to go down there and meditate there and begin my day. Uh, we got down there to it and it was uh, had a big brick wall all the way around it. And man, as we passed through that gate in that brick wall, it was like uh, the energy just changed. I mean, it felt like popping through a layer of warm saran wrap. I mean, you just bloop, completely different energy inside of there. Uh, beautiful is an understatement. They had these uh, concrete, I guess Confucius had some number of followers that were almost like disciples of Christ, sort of. They said were like there was hundreds of them. And there was these concrete full-size statues standing around of all these uh, kind of stereotypical uh, Confucian time era monk standing around. So you like felt like you were walking along in a crowd of them, like they were frozen in time. Peter and I split up just about immediately and uh, just wandered around. Um, no, it wasn't 100 of them. It's 72 sages. They were full concrete statues of Confucius's disciples. There was a sign on it said they were each 1.8 tons. It didn't look like they weighed that much to me. And no two of them were the same. Uh, I just slowly walked among them, soaking it in. Uh, there was a giant altar. I mean, a magnificent altar. And a young man was there keeping incense burning and uh, explaining something to the visitors. Uh, he was explaining it in Japanese. Um, I just watched and followed suit and uh, kneeled on my way in like everybody else did and said thanks to my higher power for being here today. Um, while we were on the way there, I told Peter what I was planning on doing and I was going to meditate there. Uh, he asked me about that and told me he had no experience with meditation. Uh, 
Um, so that started off a little bit of sharing about what meditation was to me at that point in time, you know, and this is, uh, I had just celebrated a year sober, I guess. So, uh, it's not making sense though. This was in March of 2017. Yeah. Just celebrated two years sober. So I was explaining to him what meditation meant to me back then and um, how I go about it and told him I usually start with some prayer and uh, I asked him if he followed any religion, had any spiritual life, higher power and uh, he said no and so I just explained how I went about it and uh, when he asked me how I got into meditation, uh, well like I've shared here before that my answer to most anything cool going on in my life is uh, that I got introduced to it through recovery uh told him i used to you know got in a lot of trouble with my drinking and drugging and i couldn't stop and recovery given me a, a new way of life and that includes daily meditations so we wandered around and we ended up uh, reuniting after a little bit and i found a spot in the sunshine and sat down and told him i was going to get quiet for a bit and i told him it'd be 20 or 30 minutes i saw that that surprised him uh even though earlier i had told him how long i usually meditate uh, i sat down and and slipped out really fast uh, the energy there was just fantastic probably some jet lag still going on at the same time and uh I do remember at some point he must have forgot what I was doing and he just started talking to me and then he caught himself and apologized and uh, that brought me back out for a second but uh, I slipped right back into the piece and I don't even think he knew that I hurt him at all. Uh, when I came back up out of my meditation I stretched and I laid back in that warm sunlight for a few seconds. Uh, I got up and asked him if he was ready to go. He nodded and looked at me with the strangest look. Uh, like that sideways puppy look. And then he gave me the uh, not sure I understand but okay smile and uh, we walked out of the gate. The whole place was, uh, you felt like you more went there and soaked in it rather than actually seeing things. So we jumped back on the train, on the trolley and headed north to the next stop. I had my eyes on a Japanese uh, garden area called Glover Garden. Uh, this particular part of town survived the uh, the bomb blast from uh, World War II. And uh, there was a guy whose uh, name was Glover. He came to Nagasaki in 1859 from Scotland. Uh, he, had he was 21 years old and he established a trading company. And he's said to be responsible for opening Japanese international trade uh, and introducing what back then was called modern technology to Japan. Uh, read some things on him. He was nicknamed the Red Devil because of his red face and his red mustache. He uh, also introduced beer to Japan and he started the beer industry there. Uh, this garden is really a compound built uh, by and for the white dudes and their families where this clever guy and some other British folks built their homes in Nagasaki Port right across from uh, the big Mitsubishi facilities. All the original structures, uh, some awesome landscaping, 
it's just one of those real cool park-like atmospheres. Uh, Peter and I, we just strolled along walking around. We bought some amazing ice cream. And uh, I don't know what was up with that ice cream, but it had a unreal, like kind of a, like a waffle cone, but it was something different. Uh, it just seemed to be soft serve vanilla ice cream, but uh, it was really good. While we were sitting uh, enjoying our ice cream, uh, one of the things that caught my attention about the whole time when I was there were with the kids. Uh, it seemed that the Japanese seemed to let their kids be kids. Uh, they didn't keep them under restraint. Uh, they didn't do the stay right here or behave or do any of that. Uh, either of the kids I ran into were acting up and the parents didn't care or the parents allowed these kids just to be kids in certain places. So while we sat and ate ice cream, I was watching this one little boy and he was just completely free and full of wonder, uh, cute as a button. He ran all the way right up to me, uh, checked me out, looked me up and down. Uh, I smiled at him, and then he buzzed back to whatever it was he was doing a minute ago, like a bumblebee, coming to check you out and then zooming off. Uh, I remember getting chills up my spine from after that little boy paid me the little visit. While we were in the garden, there was a couple that was getting married, and uh, we kind of bumped right into the ceremony at the time when the bride threw the bouquet over her shoulder. Uh, I don't know what was so cool about walking up on it right at that moment, but it definitely struck me. There were little roadside stands and shops and just all kinds of uh, eye candy everywhere, and almost nobody speaks English. Um, the salesmen here in, are not pushy like the ones that I've seen in Thailand and Mexico that are wanting to try to sell you their stuff. Uh, it's like it's their honor to have you stop for a look. Uh, it, it was just very peaceful, no no pressure. Peter was beginning to wear down, and, and me too a little bit. And I also needed to exchange some more money, so we hopped on the streetcar and headed back up north to the hotel. Uh, I got off one stop early to go to the exchange machine, and uh, Peter and I said goodbye. He and I take daily after work naps while the others uh, usually begin their drinking. I'd been picking up maps on where things were at and uh, somebody had uh, shown me where there was an ATM that would exchange my money. And it was like in this, uh, almost like a mall, except for the streets, the, 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 the halls, the aisleways in the mall were basically just streets. Uh, there was some kind of covering above us, but uh, you weren't indoors. It was more of an outdoor feeling. Uh, I headed in there and started looking for this machine. Uh, I was trying to do, I was doing my best stand there and look stupid thing after a little bit, uh, looking at my map and trying to figure out when some gal walked up and uh, offered to help me. And her, her and her friend, and I was pointing at the map, trying to get them to understand uh, what I was looking for. They rotated around a few times and machine gunned Japanese to one another. Uh, after a minute, she gave me the follow me signal and blam, they took off. I stayed behind them and uh, we uh, wound around and swerved through the crowd and around a bunch of corners. And uh, then she stopped and pointed. And I doubt at all if I had found, I would have found that thing by my own on my own. The only way I found that was uh, because of that hospitality 
that they offered uh, every time I needed something while I was in Japan. I did uh, head back to the hotel and uh, got a little bag to eat and a quick nap and then jumped back on the trolley by myself this time uh, and took off for north. And to the north uh, is Peace Park and that is like ground zero of where the where the bombs landed. Um, there was one corner of a church that was left standing there uh, and they still had it marked and uh, as a piece of the monument from that time if you look at the pictures from it there was a uh, museum there that had pictures and films that were just frankly terrifying of uh, what happened when uh, when we landed those bombs on Japan um, Peace Park is just like a little bit, like a, I don't know, 400 yards north of where the actual hypo center was, so the uh, the actual ground zero of the of the blast. Uh, there's a big black monument that marks the center point where the bomb exploded, and it exploded 500 meters above ground. Um, while I was walking around Peace Park in that area, you saw a few other white people. Uh, generally, the Japanese won't smile at you much, but it was comforting to see that uh, now and again, um, I would be able to get a smile once in a while. The energy there was just super heavy, uh, not really solemn, just some kind of heaviness knowing that like what my fellow Americans did right there, uh, whatever that is, 70, 70 years ago or so. That was the only place where I didn't uh, just sit and journal. I wished I wanted to, but man, I just sat there and uh, and felt that heaviness. Uh, I found I couldn't channel that energy back up again uh, once I had left the area. My final thing for the evening, uh, I had looked up AA meetings in Nagasaki, Japan. And I had located one that was just sometime, uh, someplace around this Peace Park area. So I pulled out my phone and turned on my navigation in there. And uh, it said that uh, it was about 20 minute walk. I ended up getting there about an hour early. And uh, once I kind of located where I was heading, I circled back to some uh, roadside stands to grab something to eat and get some more ice cream. <laughs> This guy made me an ice cream that uh, I felt like I had to balance it like a baton on my hand in order to uh, carry it. Uh, it was way too big of ice cream. Uh, when, I, when I finally wandered back up there and I got to the church, uh, I spotted one of us, uh, a, a Japanese man, uh, one foot up on like a park bench, uh, his elbow on that, on that knee and he was hunched over uh, smoking a cigarette. Uh, I looked past him a little bit and I saw the familiar AA sign. There's a, a round little sign, not as big as a paper plate, that has AA on it. And uh, 
as I walked up nearby, uh, I was finishing my ice cream and he gave me one real quick glance up at me and then back at his phone. And I said, uh, AA. And when he, when he, when he heard me say that, he looked at me funny. Uh, that same confused puppy look I, I was kept getting while I uh, tried to communicate while I was there. And uh, then it sunk in on him and he snubbed out his cigarette, put it in the container and uh, in the receptacle and jumped up to help me uh, just like I would happen every time I asked for help over there. Um, turned out this dude was chairing the meeting. Uh, he, he pulled the door open asked me in and I could tell he was you know telling me to stop you know he wanted me to go first but uh there was a whole bunch of like sandals on the floor and a motion for me to kick off my shoes and put on the sandals well I wear a size 11 shoe and um I don't think there was a anything bigger than about a size 8 on the floor so I did my best to slide my feet into those and uh then kind of halfway followed halfway led uh him uh into the into the room we were going for so he pulls open the door and motions me to go ahead well as i start moving in all the heads in the room snapped away snapped around to look at me like everybody's face said wrong room uh i did say the secret two-letter word i said aa and the guy came in behind me, and I could tell, I, I, I can imagine what he was saying was something to the extent of, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, he's with us, he's one of us. And all the people in there started smiling. Uh, that is just something beyond understanding to be able to go halfway around the world and walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and be welcomed. Uh, just as just as much as I would be, maybe more so than I am in my own hometown. No, not more so. Uh, there's an old, an obvious old timer. I could see the the smile in his eyes. Uh, he got up and bowed to welcome me and uh, directed me to a seat. Uh, he introduced himself to me as shy. Uh, I wasn't sure that's what he said, but that was the best I could make out. Uh, I introduced myself as well, and uh, around the room, everybody kind of giggled. Um, everybody was pretty stoic acting, and, and they were talking amongst themselves. And you could see that the, uh, the guy who was leading me in was apparently chairing the meeting. He... Uh, made it uh, evident to everybody he was starting a meeting and he began the readings i think i've uh i counted there was only six of us five guys and one gal um kind of tough to see where everybody was at but i could definitely see the shine in shy's eyes uh he he had something going on uh with his lungs um he kept a uh handkerchief in his hand and he would cough and clear his throat and then whatever he was doing he was getting it he was spitting it into the handkerchief he had in his hand kind of kind of gross to think about it but especially with the COVID era but uh, that's what he was doing nonetheless and what was interesting to me was that he apparently was uh, 
suffering some pretty good medical consequences, but but yet still had that light in his eyes that that I see when I when I walk around uh, in 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 recovery and uh, see the people who who really have the juice. I uh, think I heard him say step one a couple times when they were talking, and then the guy started reading. And here's something that was just that that I will never forget in my life. I assumed that they were reading how it works. Uh, the cadence seemed to be like that. So I had a big book with me and I started paging through it to get to how it works and started to attempt to follow along. Um, they read and read and read and finally the chairperson, and I know what part he was at, he said uh, in Japanese, he said, uh, our adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. I couldn't understand that part, but what I could understand is when he said, A, and spit out some Japanese, B, spit out some Japanese, and C, spit out some Japanese in which everybody joined him. Uh, that is exactly where my fingers were in my big book whenever he came to that part of that book. Uh, Again, those kundalini tingles, those tingles up the back of my spine and up into the base of my neck uh, happened more than once this day. I think they assumed I was new too, uh, but there was definitely a gal was sitting in there that was new and I had thought that from the start and then uh, I uh, saw her dig out her court paper and hand it to the chair to sign it. Uh, and I could definitely relate to that. Uh, we seem to be doing the same thing everywhere. But my friend Shy, he did have the juice and it was obvious from the beginning. Um, I guess he was probably sick from that smoking, but he was definitely free and he had more English than anybody else there and he was making sure that I felt welcome. Uh, there's three other men there uh, that, by my guess, had all been sober for a while, uh, but they were more of that stoic, po poised, serious type. Um, and that's all my judgment. Uh, I don't know any of that to be true, obviously. Um, the Japanese tend to be very hard to read, for me, anyway. Uh, they started doing this round the table sharing. So, you know, one person was talking for a minute and the next person talked and uh, around and around. And when it came around to me, the guy sitting next to me said, speech, speech, which I assumed they meant for me to share. So uh, I sit there and uh, shared what, you know, as quick as I could, uh, told them what was going on with me. Um, it was really cool to sit and listen to them share and, and not have a clue what they were saying, but still picking up the energy of what was being said. I assume they might have been able to feel the same out of me. Um, I also kind of tried to uh, give Shy, didn't kind of kind to, I guess I kind of tried to uh, offer Shy my, my big book, but he wouldn't take it. And uh, somebody told me later on that since he didn't have one of like similar value or something of, of similar value to offer me back, that he wouldn't accept it. I did have one of these little meeting in a pocket booklets that just got the basic readings in it. And I showed him that and offered it to him. And he took it 
And then he went to dig around on a on a bookshelf and he pulled one out of the same thing that was, to best of my knowledge, a Japanese version of it. Uh, he signed his he signed his and I signed mine and we traded them, and uh, and I still have that book today. You can see uh, you can read through it and see that it had the uh, um, the readings in it, like like the the how it works is in there, and there's the A, B, and C, but you cannot tell another thing about it, you know, because it's all written in Japanese. Uh, just so, just just so moving to uh, be sitting in a meeting uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know I couldn't understand a word they said, and I'm pretty sure they couldn't understand a word I said, and it didn't matter. Uh, Closed the meeting and I was hiring a kite. I was juiced that entire day. Coming out of that meeting, I was juiced. Uh, I walked back down a pretty good distance to the trolley from where the meeting was. And by now it was dark. And um, that fear that I used to have whenever I go out of town, uh, I noticed that that was not present at all for me. Um, I made it to the trolley and I started heading down, uh, back down south to uh, where the hotel was. And when the trolley stopped at where the gondolas were, where that mountain in Asa is, the car started loading up with people. And uh, my friend Peter from earlier in the day got on and he sat down right next to me. And uh, I said, hi, Peter. And uh, he looked up at me and he just completely, he, he did not have any idea it was me. He had been visiting the mountain in Asa. He didn't go with us the night before. Um, but he sat down right next to me and didn't have a clue it was me until I said something to him. I can't imagine a uh, six foot three white American uh, not sticking out. A day was uh, just flat unbelievable. Uh, I spent some other time and uh, that was Saturday. Sunday got cold and uh, misty and rainy and i went out and tried to recreate a saturday you know another day that had as much magic as the day as the saturday did uh the saturday was like 65 70 degrees and sunny blue skies beautiful it just couldn't have been any better uh, i wasn't able to uh generate that same uh feeling ever and you know those are those fleeting moments you know you get the chance to to grab a hold of something like that and then uh, poof, it's gone, and I will have it forever in my memories. I kind of hoped to make another meeting, but uh, didn't have the same luck. I went to some places and um, just didn't find what I was looking for. At the end of one of them was uh, a camphor tree. Uh, I was looking for a place where the meeting was, and I think there probably was a meeting there at some point, but not when I was there. It was a dark building when I was there, and it was at a Buddhist temple. But there was a sign by this tree that this was an 800-year-old tree. And man, I love wood. As you guys know, I love trees. And I especially love these big old trees. Uh, I just sat there for a while, for about an hour. It was cool out. I didn't really intend to be outside. But uh, I just couldn't walk away from that big old tree. Uh, I just hung around it and had my own little meeting that night. Um, on the very last night, you know, we were working in the daytime, and I was getting to go around to a little bit, and they were taking us to do things every evening. You know, they wanted to take us out to eat every, every most nights. Um, 
on the final night, they uh, set up, took us to a particular place that had, you know, all the typical Japanese fare, the sushi and tempura, like the fried stuff, and it was all family style, and it was awesome. Uh, they didn't uh, accept credit cards, and my boss tried to pick up the check, and, and it was pretty embarrassing because uh, he couldn't get enough money out of the ATM, and uh, we were stuck there with him trying to pay the bill and not being able to, but... Uh, somehow or another, they worked it all out, and and once again that night, I was the only one not drinking. Uh, still happens to me today, you know. I can I don't have any problem being around people that are drinking, but when that tips over into drunkenness, and they start doing the funny face selfies and and all this business, plus they smoke inside, uh, I, I get to so much of that, and 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 I was uh, I'd be done. And that trip really did prove to me that this uh, recovery deal is the real deal. There's no way that I could have said with 100% honesty and certainty that, that I wouldn't drink in that moment. Uh, but I didn't, and I enjoyed myself, and I cut up with all the rest of them and uh, did all my straight face while pulling their leg lies, lines that I do. Lies, did you hear that? Um, and had a great time. I did see that this not drinking thing uh, uh, intrigued a couple of them, and one of them pulled me aside and asked me how I had fun not drinking. Um, he asked me if I, you know, did I used to drink? Did I quit? And he had a pretty good, he spoke English pretty decent. Uh, or if I just never started, if I never drank. And uh, I told him the truth. I said, I, I got, to, got, uh, Got in trouble with my drinking and doping, and uh, he has he's, he he sit there for a minute, and uh, he said, "Wasn't it hard?" And you know, I don't. It wasn't that hard to stop. I mean, yes, it's hard, but man, in hindsight, uh, continuing was a whole lot harder than quitting was. But Nagasaki was a real miracle in my life. Um, like I said earlier, two weeks before, I couldn't leave the county without asking the state for permission. And uh, here I was on the other side of the world. Free as I've ever been in my entire life. I know more of those miracle trips will happen. And all these stories I have come up now and again. And I may continue as they pop up into my uh, memory bank at times, record them on these podcasts. Uh, if you enjoy them, you do. And if you don't, you don't. I'll have them for my own posterity. Um, one of the exciting things going on in my life right now, which I think is going to be another one of these trips, one of these miracle trips is... Uh, join those guys on that elk hunt come September. Um, I've made up my mind I'm going to do that. Uh, I hit a, I was listening to some podcasts and a guy on a podcast said, what you need to do is download this Colorado big game brochure and read it. So I did that and uh, that brought to my attention that uh, felons are not allowed to hunt in Colorado at all. 
uh, in Indiana, I can still bow hunt and I can still use a muzzleloader. Uh, Colorado does not allow you to have a weapon, a pocket knife, a BB gun, or anything. So therefore, uh, the only way I will be able to hunt would be with my bare hands, and uh, that doesn't seem uh, feasible. So I'm taking some action to uh, see about cleaning up this legal past. I'm, uh, I've been sober and been clean uh, from legal trouble long enough to at least begin a process of getting them reduced, uh, felonies reduced to misdemeanors. Uh, from my understanding, I'd had to be uh, eight years in order to get the felonies and get my record expunged. Um, I'm sure, like most everything else in my recovery, that uh, that this will work out. Um, place it in higher powers' hands. Take the right actions. Uh, pray for help. Continue to allow my team to be in on this stuff. I was using the word tribe for a while. I don't think it really matters what word I'm using, kind of like the same way when I say God or higher power, it doesn't really matter what I say it is. So if I keep my recovery team included in my prayers here, and uh, like we said earlier, that team is more powerful together than we are alone, then uh, this elk hunting trip will, uh, will turn out to be exactly what it needs to be. And I could go and not hunt, but that just doesn't make much sense to me. Well, uh, 12 Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. You can find that on Amazon as part of what we're talking about, this growth and this team. So if you're interested in 12 Steps, regardless if you are a current 12 Step Fellowship person and want to go deeper, or if you uh, don't find yourself fitting in the current 12 Step Fellowships, or maybe you've tried it in air quotes. You've tried it and it didn't work for you. Uh, maybe give this book and this, this methodology a try. Uh, Darren Frank's music's wrapped around this podcast. I'm still doing handyman and woodwork. Uh, you need anything like that, you can contact me at dan at dtmww.net. That is dan at dtmww.net. Anybody in the Louisville metropolitan area that uh, might need something of that nature, please get a hold of me. Um, if you're not having a blast in your recovery it's your own damn fault and thank you for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner tonight peace out They won't.